This week on Making Contact. I was handcuffed to a bed until I was in delivery because of my custody level. What's it like to give birth or raise an infant inside the walls of a prison? Or even worse, have to give up your child the day it's born? Every time I go to feed her, uh, we gotta write down how many ounces we give her, what time we fed her. With breastfeeding, we gotta do it too. It's bad to say, but it doesn't even feel like it's, I have a new baby. I mean, it just does it because he got taken it from me. <laughs> On this edition, a look at pregnancy and motherhood inside America's jails and prisons. What does the huge number of incarcerated women foretell for the next generation of America's kids? I'm Andrew Stelzer, and this is Making Contact, a program connecting people, vital ideas, and important information. Women are the fastest growing sector of the prison population today. Um, African American women and Latinas. And their incarceration, you know, I fear will have even more drastic consequences for community than the incarceration of, of black and brown men. Why? Well, because, you know, these communities are already so fragile um, because of the absence of so many black men. And to begin removing the women and the mothers of the children, the, those who have, you know, historically been the primary caretakers, is to relegate generations of children to the foster care system. And the data um, of, you know, what happens to kids once they're released from foster care is, you know, just tragic and really sobering. I mean, uh, at least in California, you know, the majority of kids you know, who are released from foster care at the age of 18 wind up in prison in less than three years. So really you're sentencing those children when you incarcerate their mothers. You are sentencing their, those children to a lifetime of institutionalization. That was Ohio State University law professor Michelle Alexander, author of The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. The picture she paints is a scary one, but it's the direction that the U.S. is headed. In the last decade, the number of women entering prison increased 832 percent. And according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, nearly 4 percent of those women who enter prison are pregnant. So what happens when a woman gives birth behind bars? Usually, those babies are sent home with family members or put into foster care. But some institutions are trying an alternative— Nine states currently have prison nurseries. Reporter Shannon Heffernan spent six months visiting one nursery in Decatur, Illinois, to find out how the experiment in keeping families together, at least for the infancy stage, is working. A visit to Decatur prison starts like most prison visits, rushing through metal detectors and pat-downs. But after navigating a series of beige hallways, you're on the E-wing, the prison nursery. The room is filled with women in blue uniforms, their inmate numbers dangling from their chest, and babies in their arms. The newest arrival is Casey. She's 20 years old and holds her pregnant belly while she speaks. I am 33 weeks, so eight months and a week. Um, it's my first child, and I'm having it here in prison. Casey has long blonde hair, pale skin, and heavy eyeliner. Seven months ago, while home on bond, she missed her period, so her best friend picked up a pregnancy test. I didn't want to look at it at first because I was, I was scared. I, d I wasn't screaming or anything. She was like, 
grabbed my hands and was jumping up and down. And I was just like, I don't know really how I felt at first. I was just kind of stunned about it. The father was already incarcerated, and Casey would be going to prison in just a few weeks for possession with intent to sell. She had no idea what to do. If she gave birth inside her traditional prison, she could be separated from her child just hours after giving birth. If a family member wasn't available to take the child, then the baby would go to foster care. Under the Adoption and Safe Families Act, Casey could lose her parental rights in a year and a half, maybe never seeing her child again. The prison nursery provides an alternative to all that. But for Casey, the choice between letting go of her baby or bringing her baby behind bars was a hard one. I kind of felt selfish at first for being in this program. And I mean, I'm not going to be able to cook her like home cooked meals when she starts eating and stuff like that. It's hard. It's hard because of where I'm at. And, you know, when I got in trouble, I wasn't really thinking about my future. And then I got pregnant when I was out on bond. So, I mean, it's, I didn't do this to punish her. I, I just have her best interest at heart. The combination of a prison and a nursery felt strange to Casey at first. Everything seemed mismatched. Heavy metal doors slammed shut over the sounds of cartoons on the television. On one wall, a mural of cartoon ducks, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, had been labeled with the names of prison staff. One of them is the warden, Susan Creek. It's very strange for me to open a door in the morning and go into my office and there to be babies there. The warden herself even embodies this strange clash of worlds. She has tough, tan skin and seems in charge of whatever room she walks into. But whenever she passes a baby in the hallway, she gets this goofy grin. I spent almost 18 years working in the men's division. (laughs) I'm not sure I can even explain how different that feels. Um, For the first few months, I really had to stop and tell myself, oh, okay, you, you still work for the Department of Corrections. You are still inside the prison, but there's a baby there. What do you say to the people who say... Gosh, you're hurting these babies, but you keeping a baby in prison, it's awful. What, what's your response to those folks? The only thing that a newborn baby, I think, is very aware of or concerned about is whether they're being cared for and loved. And there is no doubt they're getting all of that. Do you know how much Mommy loves you? A few weeks after our first interview, Casey went into an early labor and gave birth to a baby girl. Oh, her name's Kimora. It's a strong name, and... She's a strong baby. She's got big, big eyes, and she's got the perfect little nose. That's my family's nose, my side, my mom's. She takes. She looks just like me. She's got her dad's feet. I despise his feet, but she got them. <laughs> you see? <laughs> but other than that, she's perfect. Baby Kamora's father, the one with the ugly feet, is also incarcerated. So Casey isn't allowed to communicate with him, even by mail, even about things like the birth. It's supposed to be in the newspaper today where I'm from, so hopefully he'll get those in the next couple of days and he'll know, but I wasn't able to tell him myself, which sucked, because she's nine days old, so, you know, and he doesn't have any idea that she's born and she's beautiful. Since giving birth, Casey spends three hours a day in drug treatment and classes, and the rest taking care of her baby. If we have breast milk, we store it in here, which is with my roommates. She's a milk machine. Today, Casey is feeding her baby. And for the most part, it seems pretty normal. But there's a constant reminder that she's inside a prison, and her choices aren't entirely her own. We have to ask the the CO, the officer that's on duty, 
for the formula, so it's a it's a little process here. Every time I go to feed her, uh, we gotta write down how many ounces we give her, what time we fed her. With breastfeeding, we gotta do it too. Like we just come out here, we'll write down how how long she was. We fed her on each breast, and then they'll sign it. Casey says having the prison bureaucracy involved in every little aspect of motherhood can get overwhelming. But she's been surprised at the benefits of raising a baby around other women. Like the first couple days when I was breastfeeding or whatever, like I was completely drained. And they were like, we're taking the baby for a couple hours and you need to go rest and stuff. If I was at home right now, you know, I'd probably live by myself. I think I'd be a <laughs> just a wreck at home, like, you know, wondering if I'm doing everything right and changing her diaper right, everything. Like, do I wash her hair yet? I mean... It's just a completely foreign thing to you if you haven't been around it. The other women teach Casey not only how to be a mom, but specifically how to be a prison mom. Remember how Casey was worried that there wouldn't be any home cooking around Kimora? Well, using commissary, a small store where inmates can buy hygiene products and snacks. The other women have taught her how to make special recipes. The women on the E-Wing say that mashed up sour cream and onion chips with water taste exactly like a baked potato from the real world. But Casey's favorite is the birthday cake another woman makes using a long list of commissary ingredients. The little chocolate cupcakes with the little white squigglies on it. Two Snickers, two Reese's, two Milky Way, and two Hershey bars. And somehow, I don't know how she made it, but it tastes like a cake and a really good cake at that. Everyone shares food for special events. There's a sense of community. Exactly the sort of thing that could have helped these women on the outside. For instance, a few months after Kamora is born, Casey has gallbladder surgery, and all the other women gather together to take care of Kamora. Casey's still sore when she gets back, so one of the women is helping her change Kamora's clothes. That's fine. I think she's about to start pooping. She might be. The woman helping Casey is named AJ. She's part of a separate program on the prison's E-Wing, the reunification program. These mothers didn't give birth here. Instead, they have older children who don't live inside the prison, but can come and visit their mothers in their rooms. AJ says she's loved watching Casey become a mom. She's a first-time mom, so she asks a lot of questions, and they're cute, and I like to give her advice. And, you know, I have had two kids, and so I do know a little something. Women in the reunification unit, like AJ, watch the nursery babies while their mothers are in drug treatment. AJ says being trusted with another woman's baby even though you're in prison, is a big honor. It's changed the way she thinks of herself. Helping Casey out has made AJ feel smart and useful for the first time in a long while. When AJ's 12-year-old son Cole comes to visit, Casey returns the favor of lending a hand. We're getting ready to make this birdhouse, and he's going to take it home for his grandma. Even though they aren't actually related, Casey and Cole act like siblings. I couldn't interview Cole because his mother AJ doesn't have the parental rights to grant me permission. But he nods his head in agreement while his mother AJ tells me about him. What do you think it means for him not just seeing you in the visiting room, but getting to see where you live? He loves it. He loves all the girls. Do lots of girls on the unit give him advice and stuff? (laughs) They try. He says that he's not the dateable type. And the girls are like, you are so handsome, and you're going to have so many girlfriends. And he just is like, no, no, I'm the matchmaker. Sometimes when Cole comes to the E-Wing, Especially on Saturdays, he gets to meet the children of other women in the program. He's got their phone numbers. They email each other back and forth, and yeah, he's become close with them. 
So in some sense, he's also gained a community of being here by having folks who are going through similar processes as him, yeah? Yes. Yep. And he gets sad when he sees them go. Yep. Do you, uh, do you think that your family's going to stay in contact with some of the folks from here when you leave? We're not allowed to speak to um, people on parole, so instead of me speaking to them and getting in trouble, I just have them speak to my mom once in a while and let them know the babies are okay, they're doing good. And plus they call back to Miss Creek a lot. I don't. I mean, some people call within the first couple of days, like, and, oh, we miss you, and, and uh, let us know what they're doing, going to college, got a job. Do you think that would ever happen in a normal prison, is that they'd call back the warden and be like... Never. I would never call back a normal prison, but I will definitely call the E-Wing. As much as AJ loves the E-Wing, she recognizes there's a risk in becoming comfortable here. I was wondering when they call somebody institutionalized, what that meant. And I was wondering if maybe that meant me, because I don't know, just the routine I have, that what I do every day, doesn't bother me. Just, this is my home now. Do you think it's changed you in a fundamental way that you'll have to work at getting out of that mindset when you leave? I think so. And when I get home, I think it's going to be overwhelming. And this is where criticism of prison nurseries comes in, from two pretty different perspectives. Prison reform advocates say that most of these women are not a threat to society and would be much healthier and less institutionalized serving their time on the outside in drug treatment programs that accommodate families. Then there's the tough-on-crime crowd. They argue that these women committed crimes, made big mistakes. So it's not fair that women like AJ get to feel so comfortable when they're supposed to be paying their debt. I ran this argument by the warden, Susan Creek. It's not so much that we're trying to pamper them or spoil them. We're trying to increase their chances of going out and being a productive member of society and and being able to raise their child. And what are the return rates to prison like for these women? Um, To date, in our program, the ladies that have actually had their babies here in the program, none of them have been reincarcerated. Not a single person, not one, has come back to prison. Compare that with national recidivism rates for women's prisons, around 50%. Creek is cautious not to draw too big of a conclusion from these numbers, because the prison nursery has only been around for three years. But she does think that these recidivism rates are low, because these women form a bond with their child. So when they leave prison, they have real motivation to stay on track. It could also have something to do with the way that the women in the nursery program are treated by the guards and each other, On my last visit to the nursery wing, they were dealing with a conflict between some women on the unit. The guards keep me downstairs in the visiting room with AJ while everyone else has a meeting. Do you think drama here gets dealt with differently than drama on a regular unit would get dealt with? Yeah, definitely. They don't have meetings on other units. Most officers will let you argue and just wait for you to start fighting so that they can throw your butt and sag. But here, they get a hint of somebody being upset, they want to know what's going on, and they want everybody to talk calm and sit in their circle, and so it gets dealt with way differently. AJ says it's not just like that with fights. In general, the guards treat everyone better on the nursery wing. They're kinder, ask more questions, and make sure the women are doing all the education programs they can do. When I ask one of the guards if she acts different on the nursery wing, she tells me, of course, everyone is different around a baby. It's just natural. It creates hope and serves as a reminder of the future, which can be pretty rare in prison. Eventually, the group meeting upstairs ends, and the conflict is resolved. A guard lets me up on the wing to visit Casey and Kimora. 
See how she does that with her mouth? Like she's looking for the breast. <laughs> Casey is holding Kamora in her arms. And even when she talks to me, she's still looking at her baby. Being here with her, I understand a bit about what AJ and the guard meant. When you see a woman with her baby, you can tell that she's needed. You just can't miss it. It's a reminder that most people behind bars will return back into our communities and families. And whether or not they're able to live up to it, most of them will be needed by someone, a child, a parent, a neighbor. It gives a sense of urgency to the question, how will we return them to the world? Kamora furrows her brow. She looks like an old woman the way babies can. Casey places her hand gently on Kamora's head. I couldn't even imagine, you know, the women that are pregnant and have to send their baby home, but I'm happy that she's here with me and I'm in this program because it really is a blessing. Like, I don't, I can't even explain it any other way that it's just a blessing to be able to have your baby with you. And it gives you, like, a whole new outlook on life. So <laughs> I'm just going through a lot of changes. Last month, Casey led a group of women in her class in a song as they sent off another woman to go home. Someday, not too far away, Casey will go home too. For Making Contact, I'm Shannon Heffernan in Decatur, Illinois. The Time on the Outside Project is produced with support from the Soros Justice Media Fellowships Program of the Open Society Institute. We'll be right back. You're listening to Making Contact, a production of the National Radio Project. If you'd like more information or for CD copies of this program, please call 800-529-5736. Because of listeners like you, this show is distributed for free to radio stations in the U.S., Canada, and South Africa. To find out how to support us, download shows, or get our podcasts, go to radioproject.org. While that prison nursery we just heard about may be a promising experiment, it's still a rare exception. For most women, the way their pregnancy, labor, and recuperation is handled by the correctional system has a lot to be desired. But there are some advocates for pregnant prisoners on the outside, working hard to provide access to those behind bars. Making Contact's production intern Shauna Ray brings us this story about the Birth Attendance Prison Doula Project, who offer their services at the Washington Correctional Center for Women in Olympia, Washington. Go inside yourself for a moment and imagine the intensity of labor and childbirth. Imagine you're about to embark on an exercise of physical will, that in the near future you will encounter a massive hurdle, one that must be confronted to get to the other side. Now imagine that you are approaching this challenge without family and without loved ones. Instead, you'll have a guard standing watch, possibly with shackles around your ankles, wrists, your arms restrained, enveloped in each contraction without the ability to move. Now, compound all of this with the anxiety of not knowing if you'll get to keep your child. The first 24 hours may be all the time you have to hold it. For a majority of women, who find themselves giving birth while serving their sentence in a correctional facility in the United States, this experience has traditionally been their fate. And it is this tradition of laboring in isolation 
that the Birth Attendance Prison Doula Project is working to change by bringing their doula services inside the Washington Correctional Center for Women. What exactly are the services of a doula, you may be asking? The role of a doula is to advocate for a woman during labor and birth or answer any questions that she might have about her pregnancy and her labor, and a doula also provides postpartum care. That was the voice of Hughie, program coordinator with the Birth Attendance Prison Doula Project. Though the word doula is Greek in origin, the concept is multicultural, present wherever there are women and mothers supporting each other through pregnancy, labor, and birth. And in the case of doulas who bring their services to incarcerated women, Hughie says their presence fills a crucial gap. Working with incarcerated women, it's a little different in that, generally speaking, prisoners aren't provided with a lot of information. And so we bring in pregnancy books, we bring in postpartum books, child development books, and then we also provide a space for women to look to the wisdom that's already there in the prison. Because there's a lot of women that come to our support groups who have children, have had multiple children, and so they can answer a lot of those questions for each other. Really a big part of it, too, is just to provide a space to witness women in their experience of being incarcerated and being pregnant. According to the Women's Prison Association, the large majority of women in U.S. prisons and jails are first-time offenders, serving time for nonviolent offenses. Property and drug-related arrests make up two-thirds of incarcerated females. These women are often survivors of physical and sexual abuse. Compound that with a lack of mental health care, the war on drugs, and mandatory minimum sentences, and you begin to humanize those women living behind bars. As a society, we forget about people who are incarcerated. We don't want to think about them, or we put these labels on them as criminals. Really, they're just, they're just women. And beyond the debate over whether detention is the best way to handle those crimes, it still remains that in order to have the healthiest outcome, an expecting woman requires certain fundamental things. According to the Young Mothers United Incarcerated Young Mothers Bill of Rights, proper prenatal care, medical examinations, and screenings are amongst them. Underlying all these things is information, and that's the core of what doulas provide. Genesis had her baby at the Washington Center for Women. The first time I went to doulas, it was because it was a labor class, and I didn't know nothing about labor. I never had a kid before, nothing. You're more scared and nervous about going into labor than you are about being here. Concerns about labor and delivery can be especially complicated, according to Marin, a direct service doula with the collective. When you're pregnant, you need your community and you need people around you who you feel safe with and you need great medical care. You need to be able to decide what kind of doctor or midwife or care provider you want there with you and you need to be able to decide if there's someone who's specifically you don't want to be around you while you're giving birth or you don't want them to be around you while you're having medical screenings and you pretty much don't get any of that when you're incarcerated. Since 2002 when the program was established, over 100 women in Washington state have been able to avoid being in labor by themselves. Again, here's Yuki. During her labor, Typically, we're the only one that's with her, except for the medical staff that's coming in and out. And then there's an officer that now sits outside the door. Before we started doing this work, it would be an officer inside the room with a curtain pulled, and that was usually it. 
Occasionally, a woman gets a special visitor approved, so she might have her mother with her. Maybe a sister might be with her. She may have her partner with her. I think I've been to one birth where a woman had her partner with her. And also, the officer has to call that special visitor to let them know that the woman is in labor, and sometimes that doesn't happen either. To attest to one such misfortune, we go again to Genesis. It was not easy. I had approval for my parents to come, but then they lost the paperwork, so I had to do it by myself. It was hard. I was handcuffed to a bed until I was in delivery because of my custody level. Simon Conrad, the longest standing doula with the organization, says that isolation can have some serious consequences for the mother. When any person, whether they're incarcerated or not, is in labor, and they don't have an advocate there for them, things can very quickly change. When you have a doctor telling you that, you know, you have to have an epidural or you have to have a cesarean, you know, not progressing quickly enough, people get nervous. You know, it's a doctor. You've kind of always been told that if a doctor's telling you something, that's what needs to happen. So we find that when people don't have an advocate sometimes, they're more prone to get off the path that they wanted for their birth experience. In addition to supporting these women through pregnancy, labor, and delivery, the birth attendants facilitate reproductive health classes and support groups. One major focus is postpartum depression, which is even more common amongst incarcerated women since they usually have their babies taken away soon after birth. Teresa Correll had her baby at the Washington Center for Women. I mean, the whole time I was pregnant here, I was scared because I was hoping that I got to keep my baby with me. I mean, that was just the whole time I was pregnant. I was like, I was trying to keep him inside me. Pretty much had to leave him home, leave him at the hospital and come here. And that just, I never thought I'd have to do that. It's been really hard. It's what it's been. It's really been hard. I never thought I'd have a baby and not be home with it you know I'm scared I'm not bonding with them or I feel like a yo-yo half of the time I don't know they pretty much tell me I can't be mother I mean my baby's gonna be a year and a half old when I get home it's bad to say but it doesn't even feel like it's I have a new baby I mean it just doesn't because he got taken it from me Teresa's baby went to one of her relatives who Child Protective Services deemed fit to raise the child. But in the event that there is no next of kin, doula Simon Conrad says a mother can lose the rights to her baby forever. If there isn't family that can take the baby, the child goes into foster care. Now, one of the things that can happen with that is that if you don't see your child for 15 months or more, technically that child can become ward of the state. And that means the parent will never be the legal guardian of that child again. You know, if the child is being fostered six hours away and the family can't afford to bring the baby to the prison for visitation, the parent can technically lose guardianship of that child for no fault of their own. There are a few prisons in the U.S. with alternative nurseries where mothers get to spend the first bonding years with their babies. At the Washington State Prison where the birth attendants operate, for example, there is a residential parenting program. But despite its proven positive influence on recidivism rates, the program can only accommodate 20 mothers at once. Simon says the lack of public support for incarcerated mothers stems from an oversimplification of who those women are. People always want to know what happens to the baby. 
And I would say, well, it's A, B, or C. And then I say, but, you know, there's the woman, and she's having her experience. And children are very important, of course, but these women are important too, and, and their experience is valid and needs to be witnessed and should be supported. It's a beautiful thing. There are a sprinkling of other facilities around the country with similar birth attendant programs, but they are few and far between. So for now, the mothers gather, share their experiences with each other, and try to get through their time. For Making Contact, I'm Shauna Ray. That's it for this edition of Making Contact. For a CD copy of this program, call the National Radio Project at 800-529-5736 or check out our website at radioproject.org to get our podcast, download past shows, or help make a difference by supporting our work. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.